welcome aboard. Whether you've landed here by mistake or on purpose, you've opened a door to another world. You've opened a door to fishing without bait. A lifetime without definitive expectations, where we ask people to create themselves rather than find themselves. The only price for admission is the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're welcome here. Jump in and let the adventure begin. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist, and for those of you that have listened to the podcast in the past, and I hope you have one of our all-time favorite individuals, both as an individual and as a performer, has agreed to join us tonight, rather remotely, since she has uh, changed uh, geographic regions, Uh, and I'd like to welcome our dear and good friend, Miss Liz Victory, to the program. Liz Welcome aboard. Thank you, Jim. It's very kind things you say about me. Well, they're all true. Uh, If I thought you were a bag of rocks, I'd gently tell you so. Um, However, uh, at our last meeting, uh, Liz and I became acquainted a few years ago, uh, like-minded people, and she was inventive, creative, and still is uh, a bit of an edge to her, which I find... uh, intoxicating and I find that her thoughts are just delicious and she explores areas and maybe has opened my mind up to things that I've never thought of. So uh, she's recently taken an adventure. Most people wish and hope for things to happen and don't make them happen unless you made something happen in your life. Could you tell us about that? Uh, So I I moved to New York City during the peak of the pandemic uh, here in New York City. And it was, uh, I think, one of the best decisions I ever made. But I've made some questionable decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about that decision-making process in the midst of this pandemic. And I was talking to Mike earlier. What's going on in the world right now is like walking down Grand Street in Pittsburgh past the courthouse and having a lion attack you. Uh, so tell us about that process. And tell us about the obstacles and the hurdles that you encountered not only uh, logistically, but from people in your life. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I was talking to you about that along the way, huh? <laughs> yes. So I decided, I decided that I needed to move after a meditation group. Before that, I had done a four quadrant pros and cons with my individual therapist. And based on that, I had decided it made sense to stay in Pittsburgh because it was the safer decision. And even after I had said that, my therapist, like he knew more than I did, he said, there might be something that makes this decision for you that outweighs the pros and cons list. And I said, yeah, that's nice. But you know, my my treatment team is here and my health insurance. And you know, if things get really bad with this thing that at the time we had virtually no information on that being COVID-19. So I was meditating with, uh, I believe it was Three Rivers Dharma Recovery. It's a really nice group. I like those folks. And I was in my house in Pittsburgh and like a wave of awareness, my eyes popped open and I realized I can't die here. I can't die in Pittsburgh. I just felt, I felt like it was objectively tragic objectively tragic that's for a, somebody that's, that's quite a turn of phrase i i mean it because 
for somebody whose dream is to move to New York City and pursue their life in New York City, and then right before they're about to do it, they die. <laughs> objectively tragic. How can that not be tragic? Yes. So when I realized how imminent death was during that meditation, and I've really carried that with me since, where I had this feeling like we all have this looming specter of death that any one of us, regardless of health or age or whatever, could die in two weeks. Done. So I've kind of been living my life like that. And who was it? Was it Joni Mitchell who said, live each day like it's your last? Well, sure. That's a, that's a Buddhist philosophy. That's many type of philosophies is that we're born to die. And uh, one of my mentors after Chaudhary would always say, what are you waiting for, Jim? Right now. Right now. Yeah, I couldn't wait. I couldn't take the risk. I had no idea what was going to happen. And what I said to my parents was, you know, at least, you know, if I, if I end up on a ventilator in Javits Center, at least I'll be there. At least it's not a ventilator. You know, what, what are the Pittsburgh hospitals going to do? Are they going to be set up for this? Is it, I, I might be better off there where they have so much support because it is so bad. Um, and that was, it was quite frightening when I first arrived. <laughs> well, one of the suggestions that I have for people for their epitaph of life would be no regrets, Liz. No regrets. And I'm, I'm really glad that you, I'm glad that you did that. And, uh, you know, you and I have discussed that, having a mind of awareness and knowledge rather than a mind of uncertainty, which I think you did your uh, due diligence and approached this with, with your eyes wide open. I definitely did my best, and I, I don't regret my decision at all. So how were you able, if you even tried, to reconcile your choice with other people, who people who really cared about you, Liz? Oh, I mercilessly cut them out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not permanently. I was, just, I was very forward about it. Um, my parents, for example... I don't know if they'll be upset if I tell this story, but my dad sent me this text message that said the, the train station in my birthplace was closed. And I immediately felt like, why are you lying to me? Because I check it every day. Uh -huh. And instead of wondering, you know, uh, is my train running or what if, what if it isn't? I really like to take negatives out of my, um, of my, lexicon. I don't like to use negatives. I like to keep it positive. So the way I phrased it was my train is on time. My guest house is open. I said that every day. I checked every day. I was in contact with the person who owned the guest house. We worked things out. We were totally cool. We're still friends. And what I said to my parents was if I'm not going to be able to share with you the details of this trip, if I feel like I can't trust you. Mm. So when I say I mercilessly cut people out, what I did was I, I told them flat out, like, if you can't support me, then I will not be sharing any information with you until I land. So there will be the silence that you have to deal with. So is that what you want? Or do you want to be supportive and actually know if something bad happens to me along the way? 
this is not the first time I've taken this approach. This is a very old approach that I've used for, I don't know, my entire adult life, probably. Okay. Well, it sounds like you were only, you were interested in how you could do something and not interested in people bringing up why you can't. I'm not sure if that necessarily covers it okay. because people got pretty aggressive with me. Ah. Um, so I guess some people I weren't, I, I wasn't straight, you know, like I'm not going to communicate this with you anymore. Some of my friends, I just stopped communicating with oh. them about that. You know, it's just, I avoided that subject altogether. Okay. So I just, <sighs> I'm not sure. Well, I knew you were going to go <laughs> and, uh, Supported your efforts? As yeah, the people who supported me, they got the most information. They were able to follow the journey and everything. But after the initial aggressive responses I got from some of my closest friends, uh, I really closed off. I didn't post anything on social media. I didn't share really anything about what was going on. And then when I started to share those things, it was on my podcast, that broadcast. Yes. Because that's a much smaller, more fan-based avenue. So if you were going to find out what was happening in my life, you're, you're like a big fan <laughs> if you're watching my podcast. <laughs> so I was able to continue doing that a little bit more. And I opened up via that broadcast, uh, but still sort of kept things really secret. And you know me, I don't really keep anything secret. So that's it's a weird thing for me to do. So tell us, uh, tell us about your trip and tell us about landing in New York um, City. Yeah, the trip was unnerving because everybody was on edge because the numbers were just skyrocketing and, and nowhere near going down yet. So, you know, the, the people working on the train were very impersonal, kind of like, you know, just get in your seat and I'm going to disappear. <laughs> I totally get it. That's fine. Um, this was before they were really doing any mitigation efforts too. There was this cute old, older woman on the train with me who kept like talking to me, but I don't think in a good way. She, she was just like upset. She's like, are you six feet away? And I'm like, <laughs> I sat here first, lady. Like, nah. and I had to get her to understand that I had sat there first, and then she moved. And she was saying uh, Joppa beads. She was saying prayer beads. So nah. I thought that was really interesting. But she looked shook, and yes. the train was really empty. And when I, when I got to Penn Station, going through Penn Station and going through the subway was very possibly the most physically challenging and terrifying thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Say more about that. Um, the first thing I do want to say about that is I'm super grateful for that experience. Okay. Because it was so terrifying and physically challenging. And I'm like, I did it. So I'm very grateful and it should the challenge, you know, for more pain and suffering come, then, you know, let's, let's do this, you know, physical training, mental training. Um, the reason it was like that is because I overpacked one of my bags ah. and I basically couldn't lift it by myself. 
And it wasn't, I w- I'm not scared of the virus. That's, that's not my fear. And it wasn't my fear in the subway or on the train. My fear was being a very small statured human, very obviously overloaded with things. Okay. In an almost empty train station with like a smattering of vagrants and a smattering of police and the police weren't really spread out. They were kind of like clustered. Okay. So had there been like police periodically spread out around, I would have felt so much better. Like, Oh, good police. No one's going to mug me. My big fear was being robbed. That was my big fear. Like people are going to notice that I'm new and I don't know what's going on and it's super obvious and I'm white and I'm just shaking uncontrollably and I can't stop it. It's physiological. I can't think myself out of it. All I can do is, is try to, I, I really couldn't do anything. It was pure survival. Get my ticket, get on the damn train, get where you're going. You know, uh, I encountered, I think two elevators, which helped with the bag. Okay. But otherwise I had to clunk, 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 clunk the bag up and down stairs. Oh boy. So, um, the other reason I'm grateful for this terrifying and physically challenging experience, uh, I want to add that I have hiked many, many miles in the Alleghenies. Um, so, I mean, I've done physically challenging things. Uh, I'm not like the soft hand hipster, not really (laughs) gone outside. Um, so I, I had like rope burns on my hands from carrying around the duffel. But really the, the one thing, the one standout thing, like the worst thing that another human did was this guy said, he said something like, Hey, Slipknot, I liked your last album. Like not kind of a compliment. Like, thanks bro. Uh (laughs) Cause I have the guitar too, which is just like a shining beacon that screams thing worth money. Mug me, you know, Uh when everybody's out of work, everything's shut down. Like, this is a little divergent, but I'll go right back to it. I mean, I was waiting for riots from day one. So the fact that it took this long and a public execution to get here, I, I expected that from day one. Back to the original story, though. <laughs> the beautiful thing about this story is that while I'm carrying around, I don't know, 100-pound bag, um, I'm on a platform where there are actually other people and, you know, a, an announcement comes over, but it's, <laughs> and I'm, I just don't even pay it any mind. And I kind of notice people moving and I look up and this pregnant woman says to me, Hey, they said we have to go to the other side of the platform. Uh, and I'm surprised anyone even bothers to say a thing to me. Okay. And uh, I said, Oh, I couldn't tell what he was saying. And then she proceeds to go off in this hilariously New York fa- fashion about how it's ridiculous that she has to go to the other side and she's all mad and it's so cute. So I was like, all righty. And I get my stuff and I proceed to, take it up and down another two flights of stairs up one over and down again. And I get it to the stairwell and another person says to me, Hey, do you want help? And I look at them and I think, Oh my God, I don't even know. And I said, you can, if, if you want, there's a, there's a handle at the back. So they grab the back and they help me up the stairs and then they put it down on that, that, first landing and then they run to catch the train. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I hobble 
to the next set of stairs and then I'm going down clunk 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 and I notice it just got lighter and I turn around and I look and there's this guy who has the back it didn't even ask just grabbed it and I'm like uh okay so I keep going forward he takes me all the way to the train car make sure I get in the train car and then just disappears into a different train car mm. and I'm just blown away this was just so beautiful and phenomenal to me like I'm I'm just like I'm getting teary-eyed even recounting these stories because I w- was more terrified than I've ever been in my entire life and instead of encountering the thing that I feared I encountered something I didn't even expect mm-hmm. and that was loving kindness and compassion during a time when getting near other people let alone touching things other people have touched could kill you these people randomly helped me and they they didn't have to do that. No, they didn't. However, they, however they chose to do so. Yeah. My get the, the guest house owner, he did that too. He actually met me at the stop, helped me carry my things, gave me masks. I have one N95 mask and it came from him. Okay. He gave it to me. Um, he gave me blue medical masks. He gave me, uh, gloves and he gave me two little um, keychain hand sanitizers and everything and he's just a lovely human being like, like I said we're still friends I hit him up all the time <laughs> on whatsapp and just texting him stuff <laughs> so tell us about your first night alone in New York City um, I don't think it was it, the, the first night isn't really the memorable night okay. it was more like the fifth night that was the memorable night because Everything's adrenaline and pure emotion. And, you know, I'm not really getting a sense of reality yet until about night five. And night five is when I realized that the sirens didn't stop. It was 24-7. It just never stopped at all. And at first, I think I was able to brush it off because, you know, oh, it's New York, whatever. There's crime here. There's... 8 million people. No, that is not what was happening at all. I think it just took me a minute to realize what was really going on and that this wasn't normal. Cause like I said, I lived in New York before I lived basically in the same neighborhood before in Brooklyn. So, and and I've toured here a billion times. I'm familiar with the area. I know what it's like to sleep here. I know what it's like to sleep in a van here. I mean, come on. So I started to to really panic once I realized, and I didn't know what the sirens were yet. Uh, so my first thought is police. And if there's a ton of police sirens, that usually means bad. Not because the police are bad. I'm not one of those people. And God forbid the comments on this, you know, after I say that. Uh, we, can, we can come back to that later if you want. But uh, my idea is like police, crime, bad ambulance, people being saved, good. So I actually found a lot of solace in Reddit. I know that might sound weird, but I would go to the New York City and ask New York City and Brooklyn subreddits, and people would be talking about what was going on. And there was a random person who said, Oh, it's it's ambulances. And this calmed me down. And then I found a a clip of Chris Cuomo, and he said that he could hear the ambulances 
And so a bunch of people are freaking out because they hear these constant ambulance sirens. But then when I see someone on Reddit, as well as Chris Cuomo saying, oh, it's ambulances, it really helped. Like, I wish I could get in touch with Chris Cuomo and tell him how much it helped me, even though he works for CNN. And I was like, I don't know, grain of salt, maybe it's ambulances. (laughs) Well, and again, what we're talking about is when we have minds of uncertainty lists, they can be minds of anxiety, worry, and fear. So you replace that with a mind of knowledge and awareness, and you were grateful for that. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to Chris Cuomo and, and Andrew Cuomo, I'm Governor a, Daddy Andrew Cuomo. I'm aware of that. <laughs> Everyone's aware of that. <laughs> so I, I, did, I did confirm it for myself. I finally went out to the grocery store. So uh, New York City has bodegas. They're corner stores and delis, and they're amazing, and they're basically on every corner, and it's seriously like 50% of the reason I moved here. Okay. So I can just go outside and get whatever I want at the end of the block. Okay. So I was going to the bodega a lot, but I finally went to an actual grocery store um, and, you know, waited online to get in the store and did the whole thing. And on my way, the three blocks it took to get to the grocery store, I saw four ambulances. Mm. Didn't see any police cars. So this was remarkably relieving for me because, like I said before, Police sirens, crime, bad. Ambulance sirens, people getting help, good. Even if it means that people are in trouble, both both situations, people are in trouble. But one siren is helping that person. The other siren could mean rent riots. Like I was, I was messaging my buddies every day, like, I'm so concerned about the rent riots. People are out of work. Are, is food going to stay on the shelves? It did. We have so much food. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, those those were my concerns. You were at ground zero. So tell us about your thoughts. Tell us about, there's a, a German word called Zeitgeist, about, which is the mood, the mood of an era, the mood of a time. So, so tell us about the Zeitgeist of New York City as this was evolving. It's really shifted a lot between the, I got here on April 1st, <laughs> April Fool's Day. I got here on April 1st. And it has shifted significantly since then, as of uh, June 8th today. And when I first got here, maybe I'm projecting, I probably am projecting a little bit, but it really did feel like everybody was a little shook. And there were definitely fewer people outside. There are definitely more people outside now. But it was also like a lot colder than... I would say that there was a general air of fear for a while, especially because I don't think our numbers started to trend downward until the end of April. So that was a whole month of what, what, what is going to happen? We just don't know. So how did you feel about, how did you feel about the conflicting reports in the media? How did you feel about the deniers? That's a funny subject. Because I would have to say that I was one of them. (laughs) Okay. I was definitely not concerned until things actually shut down. So until like March 20th, I was completely unconcerned. Like very not worried about this problem. In fact, it took one of my friends basically shaming me Mm -hmm. about coming right out of the bathroom to get me to start washing my hands. Uh. 
And he even taught me a little, he, he said, say the ABCs. You don't have to say the little ending song thing, but if you do the ABCs, that's about enough time to wash your hands. And I'm like so grateful that that occurred. That actually occurred at the Andy Warhol Museum yeah. before things shut down. So, I mean, it was a really good time to teach me that <laughs> <laughs> for my sake and your sake and everybody else's sake, because I'm, I'm just not, I, I was, I wasn't previously a big hand washer because my, um, I've had family who struggled with OCD and I've watched people wash their hands until they bleed. And it was like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands as I was growing up. And as an adult, I look at it like I will wash my hands when I know it's absolutely necessary. Like I've been digging in the dirt for hours and they're just like covered in, in dirt. Um, otherwise, I don't really think much about it because I look at getting sick with normal illnesses good because that just builds up your immunity in my opinion or my amateur medical thought. So when did you come to the moment of clarity that says, hey, this is for real? When we shut down. So tell us about, the, of course, I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh. You're sitting there in New York, two different, uh, two different environments. So tell us about the shutdown in New York City. Hmm. The shutdown in New York City. It's tough because when I got here, things were already shut down because New York and Allegheny County kind of shut down at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that parallel, I think, is what really got me to start taking it seriously. It's not that I didn't believe a thing that nothing. It's not that I didn't believe anything was happening. It's that I felt the media was making it bigger than it was because they do that. Yes. You know, cry wolf. So how am I supposed to believe you now? Okay. And that's why now I will just only get my news from New York governor Cuomo. He's the only human being that I believe like anything. <laughs> okay. So what is, what is it about governor Cuomo that you have confidence in? I don't know if I've ever been so inspired by a government leader, and that includes Bernie Sanders. And I was a very, very strong supporter of Bernie Sanders. Yes. Uh, and he did a lot for civil rights his whole life. He's done a lot to, to move the, um, what is it, the Overton window to the left a bit and bring some really excellent ideas like Medicare for All, which we desperately need right now. Um, he inspired Andrew Yang and I don't think we would have gotten a check for $1,200 if it weren't for Andrew Yang. I know I'm going off about Bernie right now, but Bernie really That's disappointed fine. me to be honest. I don't necessarily feel very good about Bernie right now, but the way that I see governor Cuomo speak and lead and lead from the front. And I just, it, I, I just admire his leadership so much. And I just want to be a leader like him. So what, what qualities, and this is important for people who want to mold themselves, what qualities did Cuomo show that you admired and that you trusted? A leader, a leader needs to be trusted. List, there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. So you're, what you're telling me is that Cuomo excluded confidence. So tell us about that. Uh, he was very willing to say, I don't know. Mm. 
He's very willing to say I was wrong. He always opened with numbers and opened with facts that were very necessary to know. And then generally toward the end, he would come in with some kind of little anecdote to sort of soften the blow. But he always opened with, with blunt, rational, this is what we have to do. He doesn't threaten you. He doesn't make threats. In fact, one of his more recent briefings, be it today or yesterday, I've watched every single one since March 20th. Every single one. I haven't missed a single one. Okay. And I take notes. Um, and it's really the basis for my segment in that broadcast news, which I'd love to talk about, but we can get there. Yeah. And then uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting is his him saying that facts change. And here's an example of that. When we first started learning about COVID-19, we thought it didn't affect children. And it, it recently came out in the past weeks that there is a inflammatory disease that seems to be associated with children who test positive, to test positive for COVID-19. So the fact that children weren't affected changed to they are and it's in this way. Uh, I believe the World Health Organization at one point was reporting that human-to-human transmission wasn't even a thing. This is way back. Mm -hmm. Maybe January? No. Maybe even earlier than that. I I, I don't want to throw that out there. I'm actually pretty good at um, retaining some of the facts and numbers or a bunch of the facts and numbers, I feel like. I don't know if I've ever been as versed on anything in my life as I feel about New York policy and where we're at with COVID-19. It's seriously all I care about. (laughs) Well, you admire, you admire the man and he's willing to admit that, Hey, I don't know. However, we're going to find out. Here's what we know for sure. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast if you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait click the shop icon on our website we have clothing mugs cell phone cases and so much more show the world that you fish without bait this show is a member of the sorgatron media podcast network find out more at sorgatronmedia.com